How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of the Tell It Abs It Is podcast, your home for everything Colorado Avalanche on the Hockey Podcast Network and sponsored by DraftKings Sportsbook. It's not quite time yet for the madness that is college basketball in March, but that doesn't mean the fun has to wait. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is giving all new players the chance to cash $100. New customers can bet $1 on any team to hit a three-pointer in any basketball game this week, and if your team makes it rain, you cash $100. That's right, all it takes is for one three-pointer being hit by your chosen team to turn $1 into $100. That is an easy no-brainer. This slam dunk of an offer won't be around forever, so head to the App Store now, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app, and get in on all of the action. If basketball isn't for you, DraftKings Sportsbook has daily odds on the NHL, soccer, and so much more every single day. DraftKings has paid out over $7 billion to its customers since 2012, so they know a thing or two about big paydays. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN to get your shot to turn $1 into $100 when you bet on any team to hit a three-pointer in any basketball game this week. That's promo code THPN for new customers to get a shot at 100 to 1 odds on any basketball team to hit a three-point shot only at DraftKings Sportsbook. So Lake Tahoe has finally come and gone, and my God, if that was not one of the most bizarre experiences I've ever had watching hockey. You know, I'll, I'll go out and say that is the most bizarre experience I have ever had watching a hockey game. The fact that that game started at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and did not end until 2 a.m., Eastern time, I don't think that is ever going to be matched for the rest of my life. I think that is a once in a lifetime thing that I'm going to see. And I give full credit to the NHL for putting this event together, but my god, the lack of foresight with the sun is a little bit unbelievable to me. I'm just not entirely sure how you plan an outdoor hockey game. Like you're not you're not in a stadium this time like you are for the Winter Classic or the Stadium Series that's going to give you extra shade. How you plan an entire outdoor hockey game and don't really seem to factor in the sun. You know, that massive ball of plasma that's in the sky all the time that makes things hot. Yeah, that thing. That might be a little bit of an issue for the ice we are putting our outdoor hockey game on. And like I said, this event, this idea of playing this outdoor game at Lake Tahoe is fantastic. I hope this becomes a yearly thing, but I hope they have learned their lesson when it comes to playing the game when the sun is at its highest point. Because as we know, We were able to get the first period of this game done barely, and the game was pushed back to midnight Eastern time, which would be 9 o'clock at Lake Tahoe. The game started at noon in Lake Tahoe. Nine-hour difference between the first period and the second period. We had—this was not a joke on the intermission. The time between goals— was nine hours. That is that has got to be a record. There is no chance that has ever, 
ever happened in the NHL before. If that has ever happened, I would love to see it. And I just, while I want to give them credit for putting the whole thing together and making what was ultimately the correct decision once they got to it, how do you drop that puck at noon and not at around 7 there? Or, like, I get you want to get the primetime slot, so, like, at sunset even? Like, the the Bruins game that is going to be happening later tonight as I record this, the second that the outdoor game for the Avs and Golden Knights was put into question, they immediately moved that game to 7.30. It was supposed to start actually at 2 before, and then the second they saw the conditions of the ice in the Avalanche game, they were like, nope, 7.30. And it seemed like their plan for it was just relying on the cloud cover, and they were hoping that the cloud cover would bail them out and they would be able to finish this game without the sun ruining it. And I said this on Twitter, if your entire plan revolves around the cloud cover in the sky, it might not be a very good plan. And you know, there like a lot of a lot more planning should have gone into this. It just kind of seems like they thought everything would be fine because they've been able to have all their other outdoor games. They had one in Texas last year, and it was fine. I think they just thought everything would be fine. But when we got through that first period, you could see things were not fine. I mean, replay after replay of guys like Mark Stone, like toe-picking and stumbling all over the ice. You know, This would have been a completely different story, and we would be talking about this in a completely different way if somebody got hurt in that first period, and the NHL knew the quality of the ice was not good and went ahead with it anyway in order to get some of that scenic views that they were advertising. And admittedly, that is what happened. If you watched headlines last night in the intermission of the Leafs and Canadians game, That is what Elliot Friedman said. They went ahead with it, knowing that. And ultimately, the worst did not come to pass. They pushed the game back till 9 o'clock or midnight, depending on where you live. And nobody was hurt. But you could see that this game was looking a little brutal. I'm not knocking them for pushing back the game. I am knocking them for not putting the game on at a better start time at all. I mean, when this Bruins game drops the puck later, the sun's still going to be up. You're still going to be able to see some of those scenic views. And even in the game itself, the game still looked beautiful at night. You still had the, the trees in the background. Sure, it wasn't ideal. But just how do you not plan for the sun, man, That for your hockey game? It makes things hot. It tends to melt ice last I checked. And just the absolute mood change from for everyone, really, around the league. From before they drop the puck, they're doing all the drone shots, and you can see the background and everything, and it's beautiful. The first five minutes of this game is absolutely, without a doubt, the best thing the NHL has done in a long, long time. At very least this season, it was stunning to look at with the hockey going on, and you got the lake in the background and the trees, and you can, 
There's no fan noise pumped in. It's just the natural sounds of hockey, and it was beautiful. I, th- I found it pretty funny. In the first minute of the game, the announcers were like, and we're just going to let you guys take in the natural sounds of the game and try to interrupt where we can. That lasted five seconds, and they did not stop talking for the rest of the game. That was It was pretty funny to listen to because... They changed their mind. I don't know if they someone got in their ear be like, no, you can't just not talk during the game or not. I don't know if that was planned, but they did not follow through with that whatsoever. But even then, the announcers didn't even ruin it that much because you could still hear the skates going around and everything. You could hear the talk on the ice and shots being taken. It's just one glaring thing in that first period. Like I said, the ice was a complete disaster. And I can't believe they didn't plan for the sun for the outdoor hockey game. It just seems like looking back at it in hindsight's 2020, and admittedly, I'll admit, I didn't think of it, but I also don't get paid to think about it. In hindsight, this game should have been at around 7 or 8 o'clock Eastern time, which would be about 4 or 5 there. At very least when the sun is going down and not beaming directly down onto the ice. But anyway, I think I have gone on long enough about that. Let's talk about the game itself, because that's important, right? The Avalanche get the win in the end over the Vegas Golden Knights by a final score of 3-2. to two. And while this was basically two completely different games, I mean, he dropped the puck on the first period at basically noon local time and drop it again at 10 o'clock, 9 o'clock local time again. These were two completely different games, but the Avalanche, they did not let it bother them. They put up a very, very strong performance once again against the Golden Knights and pull out another two points. They are now just two points behind them in the standings and Vegas with just one more game played. If Colorado takes the fourth and final matchup against the Golden Knights. Once they meet again, they will be tied with Vegas with a 3-1 to head-to-head advantage, and they will take over the top spot in the West Division. Like I said, this game was beautiful. We'll start with the first period, or the part one of the game, I'll call it. Like I said earlier, this was beautiful to look at. The lake, the scenery, it was all just perfect. And the Avs, they came out flying in this game. Sammy G gets on the board less than three minutes into the game. Nathan McKinnon gets the assist on the goal. It, You couldn't have asked for a better start. The Avalanche were all over Vegas in this first period. It was a sight to see, really. I mean, the team is finally healthy for the first time in what seems like ever. Not fully healthy yet. Still no Eric Johnson, but Matt Calvert surprisingly comes back into the lineup. Gabe Landeskog comes back. Makar is back. Gerard is back. And you could see the difference right away. This team, as well as they were performing, even without some of those guys, they still miss them a lot. They're still missing Eric Johnson. They're going to be missing Pavel Francouz for I don't have an answer anymore but this team looked very very good from the drop of the puck like I said earlier Sammy G gets on the board first amazing what happens when Sam finally decides to shoot and this was a great feed 
from Nathan McKinnon. He finds Gerard and he rips it past Marc-Andre Fleury less than three minutes into the game. And you're going to hear the name Nathan McKinnon a lot more in this game because, spoiler, he was the best player on the ice in this game by far. And this was, I'd argue, his best game of the season. He is back in a big way. The scary thing is, I say he's back and he really didn't go anywhere. He was just not scoring a ton of goals. He still looked dominant, just couldn't get anything to go in. And now we're looking at two straight games with a goal, and we'll get to it later. One specifically disgusting goal in the second period after the nine-hour break. But that's Sam Gerrard's second of the season. The Avalanche wouldn't really let up any of the pressure in this first period, and they really took it to Vegas for the majority of it. Vegas, they'd have a couple chances, I would say. Grubauer really holds solid once again. I mean, what can you really even expect at this point? He's been phenomenal, and this game was no exception. And late in the first period, the Avalanche get a five-on-three, and this was this was really where you could see just how messy the ice was. This The puck is getting slowed down. It dies on the boards. Players are falling all over themselves and once this period wraps up the avalanche are out shooting vegas 17 to 7 and within a within about a minute the nhl is like yeah this intermission is going to be at least 30 minutes long while they figure this out and at the end of those 30 minutes they said that yeah we're not going to be resuming this game for another nine hours until we can get the ice right and everything. And according to them, apparently that was the soonest that they could really get the ice right to skate on again for player safety. I also think it had something to do with the lighting because there just wasn't a lot of it. Apparently, like, clearly they planned for these to be day games. They didn't really invest in a ton of lighting. I suspect that they took a lot of that time to really rig the lights to make it suitable for not just the players, but for a national broadcast. And that was it for part one of the game. We were all just have eight eight hours to sit back. Landeskog said a lot of the guys took a nap. They went back to the hotel and very strange. I've never seen anything like it. Ranton had said this was the strangest experience he's ever had at a hockey game. And we do not resume this game until midnight Eastern time, like I've said, and I gotta say, I kind of loved it. I was grumbling a bit for a while about just the lack of foresight and everything, but to see them playing at midnight, I kind of love the views. It really, it kind of gets what the NHL was going for with the whole going back to the roots, with the, which is what they've tried to do at a ton of of these outdoor games in the past. That was the whole idea behind the Winter Classic entirely, going back to the roots of hockey. You know, it's going back to the roots of hockey, playing outdoors at night, no fans. I think they unintentionally kind of hit it on the head with the midnight start. Maybe it could have been a little earlier. I mean, who cares at this point? But the game gets back underway after nearly eight hours and the first intermission before they go on to that break was a little unbearable to listen to. The NBC announcers were all over Vegas. They clearly love these guys, and the guy they love most is Ryan Reeves. Ryan Reeves, 
don't love the guy. Not my favorite player, I can tell you that much. Ryan Reeves had two very questionable hits in just the first period. Runs over Tyson Jost from behind. Tyson Jost is not even looking at him. And then he does it again later in the period. And in both replays, before we even get to the intermission, all the announcers are praising Reeves for the hits and the energy he brings to the table and their clean hits. It it was kind of a joke to listen to because they don't have that same energy for anybody else in the league. I don't know if it's just because Reeves is a huge guy that he gets away with these hits, but they it was rough to listen to the broadcast. And then you get to the intermission. They had a whole segment on him and just what he brings to the Golden Knights and the physicality that he brings. And you know, once you get to the playoffs, he really just elevates this team to another level. Uh, fun fact, Ryan Reeves throughout this entire season on the stacked Vegas Golden Knights team has one point and assist and crickets on that. But, you know, he hits a lot, brings physicality to the table. Doesn't matter if it's clean or not. These hits were not clean. No one was even looking at him. Someone's passing the puck. Puck is off their stick for a solid three seconds. And Jost is not even looking at Reeves when he runs him over from behind. Reeves has his numbers lined up the entire way. No call, nothing but praise from broadcasters. Like it gets it gets annoying to listen to after a while, I got to admit. And this didn't stop in the first period either with Vegas and hits. I like I don't know if Vegas just draws big numbers for NBC, but they love these guys. I'll get to another play by Will Carrier in a second, but th- whenever something questionable happens with Vegas, especially in this game, they called it changing the momentum instead of calling it for what it was. On these two Ryan Reeves hits, they're like, oh man, Ryan Reeves really just making his presence known and changing the momentum of the game as they show a slow-mo replay of him running over Tyson Jost from behind without Jost even knowing that he's there. He can't because he doesn't have eyes in the back of his head three seconds after he makes a pass, but it's, it's changing the momentum. And I'll just get into it now before I get into the whole second period. Actually, we'll just start with this as a whole for the second period. The second period, the Avs, they still come out playing really well. They're outshooting Vegas by a lot so far, and Vegas gets back into the game after Will Carrier, chicken wings, Gabe Landeskog, like throws his elbow up and rams his elbow into him. There is no call, and on the very next shift, Alec Martinez puts home a rebound to tie the game at one, and Colorado at this point was out shooting Vegas 23 to 9 and after the goal they go back to the hit and call it a momentum changer what does that even mean momentum changer i don't like i just don't understand did that galvanize Vegas to score the goal with actual talented players on the ice well Carrier didn't cause that goal first of all it should have been a penalty and I don't understand why the Department of Player Safety is going to be allowing him to play in the next game. That is such a dangerous play. You cannot be doing that. That is, you you could easily give someone a concussion. If that hits on Matt Calvert, 
who is coming off another concussion and has a history of concussions, and you give him another concussion with that. Like, this is what I mean. The Department of Player Safety doesn't really care about the the safety of the players. In fact, I even saw an interview with I don't remember who, but one of the guy, one of the former players that works in the Department of Player Safety, they put the onus on the player getting hit to protect themselves. And they they really protect a lot of these dirty hits because they actually don't want to get rid of them at all. And the fact that this did not lead to a power play for the Avalanche and Vegas scores on the next shift was just infuriating. Honestly, because it just feels like the Department of Player Safety or even the officials didn't care. And that's another thing about this game that we will get to. The officiating in this game after the first period, once we got to part two of this game, was a mess on both sides. I'm not going to come out and claim that they rigged this game in favor of Vegas, because that is not the case whatsoever. These officials were incompetent in this game, and they let a lot of things go on the Avalanche, too. The Avalanche got away with a lot and so did Vegas. I am just specifically ripping on the Will Carrier hit because it is extraordinarily dangerous. I'm looking at it right now, and Carrier lines him up, throws his entire arm up. He's not even disguising it. This is not a hit with the body or the shoulder. This is his arm is up, and he connects with just about a bit of the elbow and most of his forearm, honestly. That is... That, that takes effort to pull off. Landeskog grabs his face because he just got hit in the face with a forearm and an elbow, and they go at it. Vegas scores right on the next shift to tie the game. But right away, just a little bit later, less than five minutes later, Nathan McKinnon goes back onto the highlight reels with something that's probably going to follow him for the rest of of his career. An absolutely beautiful goal. Embarrassing Alex Petrangelo, who has probably one of the best mic'd up moments in NHL history on this play. Petrangelo is wearing his mic. On the replay, he sees Nathan McKinnon barreling down the wing, and you hear him just go, oh boy. And three seconds later, McKinnon absolutely embarrasses him and scores on Marc-Andre Fleury to put the avalanche back on top. Now, we were talking about problems with the Sun earlier in this game. Well, now we've got two because Nathan McKinnon just made Alex Petrangelo his son on that play. That was ridiculous. Petrangelo doesn't even react to the goal, and he just goes back to the bench. He's like, says out loud, there's nothing I can do about that. And he's right. When you see Nathan McKinnon barreling down the wing like that, you're not stopping him. You let him get a full head of steam. He skates around Mark Stone, a perennial Selkie candidate, and then Alex Petrangelo, the biggest free agent defenseman of last season, and from what I remember was fourth in the Norris voting last year, makes them both look silly, and snipes on Marc-Andre Fleury, who I have talked about in the last few episodes as being borderline unbeatable. He beats him badly here. That is a 
That is a classic Nathan McKinnon moment. Every time we're talking about Nathan McKinnon's greatness or his greatest moments, or you watch it on NBC, they're showing highlight packs of him. This play is going to stick around for the next decade. No, it wasn't the nicest spinorama embarrass the entire team. It was the reaction of Alex Petrangelo seeing Nathan McKinnon barreling up the ice, just going, oh boy, that is going to stick around forever. That is an instant classic moment. And like I just said, that's Alex Petrangelo saying that. Nathan McKinnon didn't just make him look stupid. He instilled fear in him by just coming down the wing. That is a mark that maybe, just maybe, this guy gets a lot of respect around the league, and deservedly so. I mean, Nathan McKinnon had a huge game tonight, three points. He's involved on every single goal, and he probably didn't even rank in terms of performances from last night. Connor McDavid with a hat trick and five points over Calgary. Austin Matthews with a four-point night with another two goals against the Montreal Canadiens. I mean, Nathan McKinnon is deservedly in that conversation, but the competition is getting stiffer, it seems, with every passing day. Because before this season, I was talking about it's McKinnon versus McDavid. Now Austin Matthews has worked his way into that conversation as well. He is, he believe, I believe he has 18 goals right now, and the next closest is 11. Funny thing is all the top scorers right now are in the Canadian division just because defense and goaltending is optional out there. And I know I talked earlier when Rantanen was on his hot streak about how he has a shot at the Rocket. Um, you know, he's on a bit of a slump right now, and even if he wasn't, the Rocket Richard is going to Austin Matthews this season, without a doubt. And he's going to be very, very in the mix for the heart as well. McKinnon's got his work cut out for him, I'll say this, if he wants to win the heart this season. Obviously he does, just because he's a very competitive guy, but Connor McDavid having huge night after huge night. Austin Matthews is having the season of a lifetime, isn't he? If I remember correctly, the tweet I saw was that he's on pace for 56 goals this season. He's And in a 56-game season, actually, I think it's more than that. It might be 58 goals this season. He might have the most goals since Ovi scored around 65, I believe, in a shortened season. Obviously, that is not going to happen. If he scores 58 goals in 56 games, that goes down in history as one of the best seasons of all time, and he wins the heart in a walk. He's probably going to score... Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised, honestly, if he scores 50 at this rate, but realistically, probably around 40 to 45. Eventually, he's going to cool down, but I'm getting a bit off track here. Anyway, McKinnon's got his work cut out for him when it comes to winning the heart this year. McDavid and Matthews, with the way hockey, hockey media works, have all but put themselves on the ballot already, and positive sign is that Nathan McKinnon has looked great since he's come back. And like I said, this game, I think, was his best by far. He looked incredible in this game. He is flying up and down all over the ice. And to mesmerize Alex Petrangelo is incredible. As the period goes on, the game starts getting a little sloppy, not because of the ice. Both teams take a number of penalties and there's this very weird 
instance where the Avalanche looks like Jonas Donskoy has scored a goal. It's waved off for goalie interference, and Marc-Andre Fleury is in another zip code outside of his crease. I'm not entirely sure what Donskoy is supposed to do in that instance when Fleury's not in his crease. What do you want anyone to do? The second the goalie is just outside of his crease, goalie interference really shouldn't be coming into effect unless it is blatant. Donskoy's not looking. He's skating backwards. That's his ice, not the goalie's ice. But they wave it off, and the score remains 2-1. to one. Number of very weird penalties, and it's 2-1 to one going into the third period. Honestly, I think my favorite moment was when... Oh man, I, I, if this was either early in the third or late in the second, Andre Burakovsky takes a high-sticking penalty, and they show the replay, and the replay starts with Brandon Saad catching a stick to the face, like not debatable, catching a stick to the face, and then a little while later, Andre Burakovsky does commit the high stick, not saying he didn't, but even the announcers, who were very clearly on Vegas's side in this game, you got to admit, were like, you know, they probably could have called both of them now that we're looking at this replay, and by God, I mean, I take no hesitation when it comes to ripping on officiating just because I think it really ruins sports a lot of the time, but I do my best, or at least I try to, to not talk about it when I don't have to, but this officiating was more all over the place in this game than the, the start time of the game. It was a mess, and eventually the Avalanche in the third period are in a five-on-three against Vegas. Makar goes off for a delay a game. Nazem Kadri is already in the penalty box to start the period. Was it just me, or was the glass, like, a little shorter in this game? There was a ton of delay of games and pucks going over the glass. I can't prove that, but Makar does take a delay of game. The Avalanche have a minute and 20 seconds of a five-on-three to kill off, and... Ryan Graves and JT Kompfer, as much as I have ripped on them, especially Kompfer, have the penalty kill of the season so far. They were out of their minds in this kill. I could barely believe it. They were so good. Ryan Graves has taken a bit of an unfair shellacking from Avalanche fans, and and I've done it myself. I will admit it, but I've tried to cut him a bit of a break because... He played with Kale McCarr last season, and he was never going to repeat that level that he was at last season because, first of all, his offensive numbers were unsustainable for the way he plays. That was never going to happen again. And he got off to a bad start this year. He was not playing well, really, in most of the games. He just didn't look good when he had the pucker in his decision-making. This game, this penalty kill... He was absurd. He was breaking up passes, clearing the pucks. And the same goes for JT Comfort, who I ripped on just last episode for being awful in that last game against Vegas, which he was. And he wasn't perfect in this game either. But credit where it is due, he was excellent on this penalty kill. And this was a huge reason the Avalanche eventually got the win. They were able to kill this off. They really... Got a ton of momentum out of it. Philip Grubauer is still standing on his head. He's making big saves in this five-on-three and beyond. Eventually, the Avalanche do kill it. And 
they hold on long enough, they keep the pressure on long enough for Devontae's to get a pass from Nathan McKinnon and fire home a beautiful rocket from the point to put the Avalanche 3-1, to a beautiful screen from Miko Rantanen in front of the net. Devontae's looked a little shaky coming back from the break after dealing with some of his injuries. He looked very good again in this one. What, like, I'm going to do it again just because I love Devontae's, but God, what a move from Joe Sackick in the offseason, getting this guy from the Islanders and immediately locking him up. He has turned this defense into from very good to elite because now there is a four-headed monster or a four-horseman, if you want to call it, of defensemen for the avalanche of Kale McCarr, who is one of the best in the league right now. He, Kale McCarr, a little bit later in this period, makes Max Pacioretty look very, very silly on some deeks down at the blue line. He, his skate work is just unbelievable. And now you got Sam Girard, who scored the goal in this game. And when he's at his best, he is very, very good. And I've talked about his contract being one of the best in the league at $5 million until 2027. And they got Bo Byram coming up, who is already a very valuable contributor to this Avalanche defense. And who knows, I've said it a ton of times, who knows where he's going to be by the end of the season. My hopes are through the roof for him. And now you've added Devontae's to the mix. Not the most flashy defenseman, but one of the most solid. And he has an absolute missile of a shot when he gets all in. He got all of this one. And it would eventually hold up as the game-winning goal. The Golden Knights would get a goal back a little more than a minute later. Alex Tuck with... This was a very weird goal. Alex Tuck does a very nice spin move around Nazem Kadri at the side of the net besides Grubauer. And I saw a bunch of people ripping on Kadri for this goal. There's not really anything he can do about that. That puck, 99 times out of 100, does not go into the net. And when I say that, it sounds like I'm blaming Grubauer. I'm not. What happened on this play, Alex Tuck, the beautiful spin move around Kadri, puts the puck on net. Bo Byram is trying to stop the puck, and he accidentally deflects the puck into the air and over Grubauer's shoulder. There is literally nothing Philip Grubauer can do about this play. It was just, it was such a mixture of skill and luck that there's really nothing to say about it other than well played, I guess. I mean, you, you make your own luck sometimes. Alex Tuck made a very, very nice play. I mean, Kadri, not a ton he could do about that. Bo Byram's trying his best to stop the puck from even getting to Grubauer, and in doing so, accidentally deflects the puck over his shoulder to a point that Grubauer can do nothing about it. But that would be as close as Vegas gets in this entire game. They pull Marc-Andre Fleury, and they they turn the pressure on a little bit, I'll admit it, and I was sweating a little bit towards the end, but Philip Grubauer holds the fort. He makes 12 saves in this final period, 12 of his 23 saves in the game. Vegas did not start well in this game. He makes more than half of his saves in this final period. And they shut the door for back-to-back 3-2 wins over the Golden Knights. And like I said earlier, Vegas has played 15 games. They are 10-4-1. The Avalanche have played 14 games. They are 9-4-1. And we will see the Golden Knights again 
for our next matchup for our fourth time in a row. And if we beat them again, we will be dead even in the standings and we will have that tiebreaker from the head to head. So a big, big game coming up against Vegas again on Monday. That would be tonight by the time you are listening to it. And then we get to some of our schedule changes, which I will get into in a little while. But this experience as a whole at Lake Tahoe was very strange and was not at all the way the NHL planned it and not at all the way any of us envisioned it. The way the NHL planned it and the way it should have gone would have been perfect. Just they had the oversight of ignoring the sun being at its highest point in the sky at noon and were unable to play the game all at once and had to concede to moving it to midnight and fixing the Bruins-Flyers game tonight. But all in all, if you ignore that, I'd say this was a success. And I really, really want this to become a regular thing in the league. Even once fans are back next season and every season after that, I think it's a good idea. I think you I think you keep the Winter Classic and Stadium Series, and you add this to the mix as well. No fans, may, maybe a couple. Maybe you install like some bleachers or something, like very, very minimal amount of fans. I I wouldn't even say more than 500. And you go back to a beautiful spot, maybe up in the mountains, maybe somewhere up in Canada and have just a pure hockey game again. This was beautiful to look at. And with some corrections next season, if they do do this again, I think they can really knock this out of the park. They took a chance here. It didn't really pay off completely the way they imagined it, but I think they are on to something here, and I really, really hope this is not the last we see of it, or at least the Bruins-Flyers game tonight is not the last we see of it. I like the outdoor games. A lot of people don't like them just because they maybe there's a bit of an oversaturation now, and I would agree with that. I think you have one Winter Classic, one Stadium Series, and one outdoor game. I think that solves it. I think that for a while there, I think really the fatigue comes from the matchups, and having two stadium series games sometimes, most of the time really, but the Blackhawks got a ton of winter classics and stadium series for a long time to the point that it was ridiculous. And I think that's where a lot of the fatigue comes from. The winter classic and these outdoor games really should be evenly spread throughout the league. It's great that Vegas got an outdoor game. I would not be surprised if they get their own Winter Classic or Stadium Series sometime in the near future too. But they have the right idea with giving a Winter Classic to Dallas last season, having Nashville take them on. Neither of them have ever had an outdoor game. And what was supposed to be the Winter Classic this year was Minnesota taking on St. Louis. Minnesota... I don't believe they, they've never, they've at least never hosted an outdoor game. I don't believe they've ever played in one either. But Minnesota absolutely deserves an outdoor game, a home game at least. St. Louis has been in a few outdoor games, I believe. But that's, it should start to switch around every, every few years or every year. You know, Colorado, they've, they tech, actually, they played in the last outdoor game against the Kings last season, that three to one loss. I guess I should mention that they, uh, broke the curse of outdoor games. I, I saw a lot of that floating around. Yeah, the uh, the curse of being 0-2 in outdoor games. Yeah, 
real heart wrencher, that one. Now we're one and two. The curse is broken, as I saw a lot of people say. Like, when I first heard that, I had to look it up because I thought, like, oh man, did I, is there just a bunch of outdoor games that I'm not remembering? No, it's the one against the Red Wings from a few years ago and the one against the Kings from last year. The, okay, they lost those games. I wouldn't call losing two games a curse, but now there's no chance of a curse because now we're one and two. But I don't think the Avalanche would get an outdoor game very soon ever again. That's where I was going with this. They had the last outdoor game against the Kings from just about a year ago to the day, I think. Very, very close to today. And I want to see other teams get it. I want to see a team like Tampa get one, which might be difficult having one in Florida. But, I mean, maybe as like a road team somewhere. I mean, what? there's a bunch of teams that haven't had Winter Classics or even been in an outdoor game. And this, it's a good way to market the rest of your teams. Sure, if you have the opportunity, you want to put your big stars in a Winter Classic just because they're easy to advertise, but teams like Vegas that haven't really had one before or a team like Carolina, Tampa, Columbus, just naming the ones off the top of my head, or teams that haven't had one in a long time, like the Canadian teams, they should have a few more. They had they have those weird heritage classics. They had one last season with the the Oilers, no, the Jets and the Flames. I believe that there's the problem right there. I don't even remember who played in it because they didn't even advertise the thing. I didn't even know that game was on until it was on and they were showing highlights of them playing outdoors. And I was not the only one. I saw a ton of people going, "Well, what the hell is this? There is an outdoor game happening right now?" Anyway, where I was going with that is like the Canadian teams deserve outdoor games as well. It should be something that every fan base gets to experience. I've been to my share of outdoor games. I went to the 2015 Winter Classic in Washington. I went to the 2018 Stadium Series. They're great experiences, and they're great for the local markets. And once fans are back, I hope they can really start to get those Winter Classics done again. But I also hope they keep this one, where it's just purely for the TV spectacle and beautiful view, get all the natural sounds, and there really should be an option to just turn the announcing off at that point. I really I really think the announcing took away from the experience a little bit. Not completely, but the whole point was to really just take hockey back outside and into a more natural state. You really didn't need that much announcing. It would it would have just been better. Even if it was completely quiet, it would have just been better. There should have been an option to turn it off. And if like if you if you don't know what's going on, you're gonna want the announcing on. But if you're a more hardcore hockey fan, there really should have been an option to turn it off. I mean, I'll go back to it. That the first 30 seconds of the game, they were like, "Yeah, we're gonna be quiet," and that lasted five seconds, and then they started talking again. But the Avalanche, they do get the win. They close in on Vegas. And I was really looking forward to these Vegas games for a reason. And I think the Avalanche have proven to be more than their equal. And if they pull off this win on Monday against Vegas again and take this series 3-1, to one, it's hard to make the argument that the Avs are still not the team to beat in this division. It was Vegas for a little while, but if we come back and tie the Golden Knights... And like I've said, their first real games against Stanley Cup or division, top of the division contenders, 
questions have to start to be asked. And even the game we lost, the one nothing loss to Vegas, we're still not healthy. Flurry stands on his head for 60 minutes, and you get to the rest of these games. You look at this, the three-game series so far as a whole, Colorado has played better than Vegas. Not saying Vegas has been bad. They've been These games have been excellent to watch, first and foremost, and Vegas has been excellent. But Colorado, I'd say for the majority of it, has been outplaying them. Absolutely. And I've as long as they don't get killed in this Monday game against Vegas, even if they lose the game, I'd still give them the edge just because of the scenario of them still not being healthy. You, you want to win this game on your home ice or else it's not really going to matter if that you stole one in Vegas. I think the Avalanche are going to win, though. I think they match up well against this Vegas team as, as Philip Grubauer keeps playing the way he's playing, and Nathan McKinnon keeps going on a roll the way he's rolling, I think they will win this game against Vegas on Monday. I wouldn't expect a third straight 3-2. to two. That The odds of that would be very, very low. But man, for a score for this one, man, I can't, I can't really say. There haven't been a ton of low-scoring affairs against Vegas outside of the 1-0. The no, but maybe maybe this one will be, again, now that we know each other, we have enough tape on each other, I'll go with, I say this one goes to extra time, and uh, once it goes to overtime, there's just never really enough time to score. Overtimes need to be longer. So I'll say it goes to a shootout, unfortunately, as much as I hate them, and the Avalanche get the win in the shootout 2-1. to one. As much as I would want it to end in overtime, man, I would rather lose in overtime than win in a shootout just because I hate shootouts that much. But in the case that the Monday game goes to a shootout, I will save my rant for that. But I think that is going to do it for me today on this edition of the Tell It Abs It Is podcast, the Lake Tahoe edition, taking it outside against Vegas. What a blast that game was. What a bizarre experience watching that game was. The Great to see the Avalanche get the win. I will be back on Thursday after we wrap up this series against the Golden Knights. And once we have our matchup against the Minnesota Wild on Wednesday, when I will be recording, that was where the schedule moved around a bit. We were supposed to be playing Arizona next, but instead we have Arizona on the weekend back-to-back. Actually, if I can talk just a little bit longer, the Philip Grubauer is going to be very tired by the end of this month. I expect he's going to play against Vegas on Monday, against the Wild on Wednesday, and probably the first half of the back-to-back against Arizona before we maybe put Adam Werner in and really have to face the question of uh, what the hell do we do without Philip Grubauer? And I hope he's up to the task because it's going to be rough if he's not up to it at all. But that is going to do it for me today, officially now, this time on this edition of the Tell It As It Is podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. There is no show without you guys. I have been your host, Griffin Youngs, and I will catch you all next time.